Welcome to a Big Beatles Sort Out mini bonus episode. While we're busily preparing for some specials in Series 2, we thought it would be good to share this mini episode of Paul's always excellent head ballet podcast that takes a deep dive into the sea of green to look at the most novel of all the Beatles songs, Yellow Submarine. Firstly, if you're listening to this and haven't heard any of our series before, this would be a really weird place to start. Why not start with episode 1 of series 1, where we started our task of rating every core catalogue Beatles release. Anyway, if you haven't heard Paul's Head Ballet podcast before, each week he interviews a guest about their favourite novelty song, uncovering hidden depths to this often overlooked corner of the music business. In this special mini-episode, Paul takes a solo look into Yellow Submarine, finally completing the Paul Abbott Zen diagram of Beatles and novelty that we've all been waiting for. We hope you enjoy this and it keeps you going for a bit. Follow us at big underscore sort on Twitter and Instagram for news of future episodes and Series 2 coming over the autumn. And now, full speed ahead, Paul! The Beatles album Revolver essentially had two singles associated with it. Paperback Writer, backed with Rain, came out in June of 1966, before the album came out. Whilst the next single, Yellow Submarine and Eleanor Rigby, which was a double A-side, appeared at the same time as the LP in August of that year. It spent 13 weeks in the UK charts and four weeks in the number one spot. So the Yellow Submarine Eleanor Rigby double A-side was issued in the States as well, but the rules on how double A-sides work there uh, and how they're registered meant that in America, Yellow Submarine got to number two, whilst Eleanor Rigby only made it up to number 11. But it's Yellow Submarine that I'm going to look at here. We all live in a Yellow Submarine Yellow Submarine Yellow Submarine So it's pretty obvious that Yellow Submarine is a novelty song because it satisfies a number of of very obvious criteria. It's aimed at a broad audience but slanted towards kids. It features sound effects. It's got an unusual subject matter. And it's unique and it's the only Beatles single to feature a lead vocal by Ringo. I mean, you don't need me to tell you what the song is like. For many people, it's it's probably the first Beatles song that they'd ever come across, as it's featured in a load of odd places like primary school sing-along songbooks. I know our school had a songbook which was called A Pusky Doo, which had been published in 1975 uh, originally and featured Yellow Submarine alongside songs like There's a Hole in My Bucket, Bananas in Pyjamas, Morning Town Ride and Lily the Pink and loads of other stuff, including everyone's favourite, I can sing a rainbow. Red and yellow and pink and green, orange and purple and blue. I can sing a rainbow, sing a rainbow, sing a rainbow too. So this means that the song is pretty well known and so like I say you don't need me to tell you much more about how it goes but it's got such a long-lasting legacy in the Beatles career with the animated film a couple of years later and all of the subsequent merchandising that's been released in the past 52 years although thankfully not the 3D animated remake that was being touted around for a while and which has now thankfully been consigned to the bin. 
The song itself is primarily a McCartney composition with John helping out a little bit on the lyrics, as apparently did Donovan, who contributed the line Sky of Blue and Sea of Green. Although it seems like that wasn't enough to get him an invite to the studio to be part of the sing-along chorus, which featured all of the band singing, as well as the roadies, Mal Evans and Neil Aspinall, the chauffeur Alf Bicknell, Patty Boyd Harrison was there, Marianne Faithful, Brian Jones from The Stones, making his first but not his last appearance on a Beatles record, and also some of the EMI crew, apparently including George Martin and Jeff Emmerich as well. Now, there's still some mystery surrounding the little brass band interval in the song. Which, for years, people thought was taken off a 78 RPM recording. This is something that Jeff Emmerich said was, was the case. A recording of a march called La Rêve Passée, which had been copied to tape and then snipped into the song. Other sources say it's actually some currently unknown session musicians who are brought in. I mean, it's a very short little section, and it it sounds to me like, given the quality of the playing, that they have actually drafted in some outside musicians and said, look, rough and ready, quick, just do a little blast of this few bars of La Rêve Passé, rather than getting the recording. They've got perhaps the sheet music, and they've done that and then cut it in or, or whatever. I mean, the intonation on the on the playing is quite rough and ready, so I don't know. Would you be expected to perhaps hear some crackle from the from the 78? I don't know. But anyway, it's, it's not like I think you'd expect to hear on a proper marching band record, not even on an old one. So maybe if we get a special edition box set of Revolver in the coming years, the truth will finally out and we'll know one way or the other. Anyway, what I really wanted to talk about with this song is a couple of things from newspapers from around the time, things in the news. Firstly, we've got this discarded intro to the song, which is this Lennon-esque bit of monologue that Ringo does with some sound effects that was originally intended to lead off the song and ends up getting snipped out. It goes a little bit like this. And we will march till three the day to see them gathered there. From Lander Groats to John O'Green, with Stepney do we tread. Jeff Emmerich, the engineer, claimed that it was a reference to Barbara Moore, who had done a charity walk from John O'Groats to Land's End. She'd done that particular most famous walk in 1960, which is obviously well before Yellow Submarine came into being, but she stayed in the news a lot. I mean, Barbara Moore made some amazing claims about how diet could affect your health, including professing to be a thing called a breatharian i.e. someone who believes you don't actually need food to live. And also, she believed that abstinence could allow you to live to about 200 years old. And she got into trouble when she was accused of taking advertising money for personal gain, and she was in the papers again in 1963 when she tried to do Land's End to John O'Groats again, the long walk, because, funnily enough for someone who doesn't eat, she collapsed while she was doing it. And then in the years after that, and we're talking about 1965 particularly, she ends up being sent to prison briefly for contempt of court after she's been going through this legal fight about access rights and sewage for a laboratory that she wants to build to test out her theories about diet in Frimley. 
And so she she was definitely in the papers in 1966 off the, the fallout from all of this. Oh, and in 1968, she was supposed to have gone to court to deal with bankruptcy proceedings. But instead, she sent a telegram to the court explaining that the reason she didn't attend was that she'd been attacked by a leopard in Barcelona. Anyway, the point is, Mr. Emmerich may well be right about her being an influence on that excised spoken word bit of Yellow Submarine. And the other thing I wanted to mention was an article I found in the archive of the Daily Mail (laughs) from the 12th of November 1966, which explained that Dick James, who was the Beatles publisher, set up Northern Songs with them, was suing a French singer called Antoine because his new record supposedly bore a striking resemblance to Yellow Submarine. Now, James, who was really only doing his job of protecting the Beatles' intellectual property and was probably made aware of this by the person in France who represented Northern Songs there, so James demands a seizure of the copies of Antoine's song, any profits from its sale, and £3,700 in court costs, which would be about £70,000 these days. So the song in question was called Votez pour moi, and had come out on the Disque Vogue label in 1966 and sounds like this. À la lotte, dit comme gros long, on gagnera, Brigitte Bardot, écoute sur sac, pour sa belle ardeur, sera décoré de la Légion d'honneur. Now I want you to decide in your head whether you would side with Northern Songs here or with Antoine. Now, the song title translates pretty obviously as Vote For Me and is all about the reasons why people should vote for this man in the song who's worked in a Renault factory and has opinions about Asterix and Ursula Andress, apparently. The chorus translates as I understand you, vote for me, so that our country is more beautiful. I understand you, vote for me, so that the French are as beautiful as me. I mean, lyrically, it's got nothing in common with Yellow Submarine, and it's it's a bit more like Antoine's other stuff, which seems to be mainly protest song, usually with sort of garage rock sound. But he's done this thing, which sounds quite silly, but it still appears to be sort of satirical or protest in some way. So how did Dick James's claim go? Well, we're going to fast forward to November 1970 before we can finally find out the answer. And Northern Songs has won the case. After four years and just before McCartney files a suit to dissolve the Beatles, and in fact, after James himself had sold the publishing company, a French court found that Antoine had plagiarised Yellow Submarine and ordered a ban on distribution and broadcast of the song and damages of 10,000 francs to be paid, which apparently in those days amounted to about £800. So there you have it. If you thought Yellow Submarine was just that kid's song the Beatles did, well, now you know that it's got a strange life all of its own and many stories attached to it. And that's without even going into the many, many bizarre cover versions that have been done of it. And with that, I will simply say, thanks for listening, everyone. (laughs) 